Hi, this is Stuart Harding with All In Sports Outreach. I'm so excited about a new episode of our podcast. Today you're going to hear from Chris Dishman. His resume is full of accomplishments, which we'll talk through some of that in the conversation that you're about to hear. He uh, played college football at Purdue, played in the NFL for 13 seasons. But above that, he's just just an incredible man of character who loves the Lord, a passion for his relationship with Christ, and pouring into young men through the game of football. I can't wait for you to hear from Chris, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Chris. Thank you for having me on. It's exciting. You know, I'm, I'm glad to be on. Thank you. You bet. So I always like to start these off with some background information, just so kind of give listeners an idea of who you are. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, You know, I know we'll talk a lot about your sports background. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, your life, your family growing up, and then, you know, your family today. Well, I'm the youngest of five. I have two brothers and two sisters. So I'm the youngest. Uh, Mom and dad uh, both are still living in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, the most interesting things about uh, our family is my granddad was a jockey. Uh, oh. My dad was a frogman in the service. And my mom worked 40, almost 46 years as a, uh, as a nurse. Wow. Um, you know, I have a sister who lives in Nashville right now. My brother lives in Houston. My brother and, and, and sister both in Louisville. And we're a very close-knit family. If we don't talk every day, we talk every other day. And uh, we always communicate with each other and always uh, been very supportive of each other. I went to DeSales High School. And from the, well, first, my grade school was Christ the King. Then from Christ the King to DeSales High School. Then on to the school up north in West Lafayette, Indiana, the best school in Indiana, the best school in North was <laughs> Purdue University. <laughs> so I went to the best school that's possible. And I can say that with smiles because my dad went to IU. So anytime Purdue and IU play each other, we have this battle of push-ups. So I am, I'm, I'm probably about a thousand push-ups ahead of them because we used to keep their butt all the time. So uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So from Purdue in 1988, I was fortunate to get drafted by the Houston Oilers. Uh, another tidbit about me: uh, Nick Saban coached me for two years there, uh, the University of Alabama coach. He is a very good defense. Great defensive back coach. He wanted gave me my foundation, and some of the drills that I use as of today came from him. So then I went on to um, after I retired after 13 years, I retired, and uh, good thing I followed the rodeo circuit for at least uh, three years. Oh <laughs> wow! Yeah, cutting horses. I was always in, I've been into cutting horses. Like I said, my granddad was a jockey. I've always loved. I've always loved horses and just been around the barn. It was one of my second natures. So I followed the rodeo for three years, uh, got tired of the rodeo. And then I went into training guys for the combine and stuff like that. And training guys just for getting into college to get college Trained guys for two years in 05 called, uh, one of my ex GMs, Charlie Castley, mm-hmm. uh, that was with the Redskins. Him and I had a good relationship. I told him I want to get into coaching he uh, directed me to NFL Europe, and uh, where Rick Lance was the head coach, and Jim Tom Sula was a defensive coordinator. I was deep, deep coach over there for the Berlin Thunder in Teltow, Germany. 
Don't ask me speaking in German because German, I don't know <laughs> none of it right now. <laughs> I can at least say hello and goodbye and count to 10 in German, but now I don't know none of it right now. So I did that for a, a season, came back to the States, um, then went out to the San Francisco area and got a job at Menlo College, a D3 school there. Mm-hmm. And um, they was paying me my big whopping salary as a um, <laughs> DB coach and the uh, field coordinator. You know, and all those who know about D3 know what field coordinator is. The field coordinator, you got to make sure the bags, the water, and everything's out wow. on the field. <laughs> make sure the lines on the field is straight and everything like that. <laughs> So I had a I had a blast doing that. And then I got a big promotion to be uh the defense coordinator. And also now I'm the house I mean the um uh well I, well everybody said I was the equipment guy. I don't call myself the equipment guy. I call myself the equipment manager. I gotta give myself good. a more <laughs> yeah, I gotta give myself a more uh better title than that. As the equipment manager. I um, you know, fitting guys for equipment and stuff like that. And then granted, I didn't know I did not know what I was doing, trust me. I did not know. I just I just realized that I could put my fingers fingers in between the ear pads and it had a little space and the hammer was too big. <laughs> <laughs> so those who paid who played pot water football know that that's how they test the helmets back in the day. That's right. And then if it was too big and they didn't have more helmets, then you put the tape around the ear pad and double up the ear pad. Bad, and that was it. So, so I was just blessed that God has watched over me and said that I'm not gonna get no one hurt on your watch because you, obviously you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so I was the house manager for that, and then uh, one of my coaches who coached with me at Sunday, I mean uh, at uh, Washington, Coach Turner, North Turner, mm-hmm. he ended up calling me, and uh, from 08 to 13 I was at San Diego Chargers, and. Um, then I went to Baylor for a year, or two years at Baylor, volunteered my first year. Then I was on staff the next year. And then from Baylor, um, went down to York Call Football. I was at York Call Football, Berlin, I mean, CFL, um, then on to McNeese to the XFL. Wow. So that's, that's, a, that's a journey in a, from East Coast to West Coast to South there to the the north, you know, I have it in all regions. That's have crazy. In, have coached in every league, CFL, now the XFL, the NFL, NCAA, Power Five, FBS, Division Three. So I have coached and have experience. God has blessed me to have experience in every league. That's awesome. So you, you talked a lot about your family. Um, so what did you grow up in a family of faith? And then at what point did you um, realize you needed a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, we did grow up. I grew up Catholic uh, every Sunday. It was two things my dad told us as children that we're going to do. One, we're going to go to church. Mm-hmm. And two, you're going to go to school or have a job. If you're not going to school at you, in order to live in his house, that was the rules. You're going to mm-hmm. go to, well, number one rule is going to be going to church. And number two is either going to have, uh, be in school or have a job. So we, I grew up Catholic. Uh, I still follow uh, the Catholic faith, and I am also Christian. Uh, I just believe God's everywhere. So I just follow God. I, I don't consider myself Catholic. I don't consider myself Christian. I feel my, uh, consider myself a godly person. I f- try to follow the lead of God. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
too, but I did grow up Catholic, went to a Catholic grade school, Christ the King, and I went to a Catholic high school, these sales high. That's awesome. So how did you end up at Purdue? Well, it was a, it was either Purdue or Michigan. Oh, <laughs> okay. wow. Yeah. So I was for Michigan, but we had this, and, and I know I keep going back to my family, but we had this car, uh, this, I can't even think of the, what was it, 80, 1980 Impala that was kind of like rusted in the bottom. And I felt like that that car was not going to make it to Michigan all the time. And my mom and dad, for when I was young, I always thought we was the richest person in the world. And before I, I was rich, I was rich with love because I always saw my dad at, my mom and dad was at every single game. And granted, my brother, my two oldest brothers played football and baseball, and they're a heck of athletes. My sister, Cynthia, ran track. She's a heck of an athlete. So we have always been in sporting events, and they was at every single event of everyone. So I just thought my mom and dad, when I was young, really didn't work, and we had a lot of money. But, you know, as you grow older, <laughs> you realize that, no, they just sacrificed. That's, that's right. called sacrifice, and that's what they did. So, um I felt like that Purdue was closer, and I liked Purdue. It was not, but, yeah. but I, I liked Purdue. I just felt like it was closer for my mom and dad to drive to see me play. So I said between Michigan's, Michigan, uh, was, Ann Arbor is about six and a half hours from, from Louisville. Purdue was two and a half, close to three hours from Louisville. So I said, you know, Louisville's the school, and plus it was easier for me to get back and forth home also. That's a, yeah, that's that's a good – that's a good reason. Uh, yeah, you know, Coach Leon Burnett was up there. Coach Burnett and I still talk today. And that's a good thing about the people that I have had in my life, coaches I have had in my life. <clears throat> we still talk today. And we've not only become uh, friends, we become, you know, some of the coaches I've coached with, like Phil, Coach Bennett, Phil Bennett, uh, um, my mentors. Uh, that's how I got on at Purdue. He was the guy that I can – I mean, at – at Baylor. He was a guy I contacted. He brought me into Baylor, you know, gave me a position there at Baylor. And him and I, he coached me my last year at Purdue. So oh, wow. It just shows you that the context you have as coaches can last a lifetime. That's right. So what was it like, um, you know, playing at Purdue and then the draft process? What was it like hearing your name called by the Houston Oilers? Well, back then, you know, it really – the draft net is so commercialized, which is, right. is uh, and which is good for the guys. It's good for the guys to get their name out there like that. And I'm so happy for it. I'm set. I'm so happy to see the draft uh, making a good progress. You know, I think it's for the better. When I say commercialized, a lot of people think it's negative. No, I don't. It's nothing negative about that. Right. It's it's for the better. Now that you hear the guys, Kim's bid to walk across the stage, touch the commissioner. Unfortunately, my round, the commissioner was asleep. When I got drafted in the fifth round. <laughs> so uh, unless, unless I could have went to his house and hug him and called him, I think he was asleep when I got drafted. You know, I got drafted in the fifth round, so he was asleep. But I did have a big old whopping um, draft party, though. It was a party of three. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was myself, my mom. My mom and I were sitting on the sofa watching TV, and my dad was back in my bedroom sleep. 
<laughs> well, and that was before cell phones and right. social before, media. So, I mean, uh, wasn't no social media, wasn't no cell phone. He was asleep. <laughs> then my phone ring. It was Mike Hollovac. Uh, God rest his soul. He's deceased now. Uh, he called me and said, Chris Disman, uh, we're about to draft you in the fifth round. This is Mike Hollovac of the Houston Oilers. And I talked to him. He said, I'm going to let you talk to your coach. He gave me the phone to Coach Saban. I talked to Coach Saban. He gave me the hoorah speech, get ready to go, get, don't come here. You know, as Coach Saban was back, don't come here, bullcrap, bull and be, be ready, be ready to go. Uh, hung up with Coach Saban, told my mom, hey, the Houston Rollers uh, about to draft me. My mom yelled back to my dad, hey, the Houston Rollers about to draft me. My dad said, oh, that's great. You ready to go? So he's ready to go back home. <laughs> <laughs> so I convinced them to stay for we can have my big party, you know, and he ended up going back to sleep. Me and my mom finished watching the program and there it was, you know, and then the next day it was I was like I was excited, trust me, I was very excited. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, it it was a dream that as as a child that you always dream to go. But if that didn't work out, I, I had a backup plan and my back backup plan, I was going to be a DEA officer. You know, that's oh. why I made in criminal justice. So, if if the draft and everything, I'm so fortunate that the draft did happen. Uh, so, you know, that was that was my humble beginnings that, that is, you know, is my job was not, I was happy to get drafted, but I wanted more. And I felt like I needed more, and I wanted more, and God put me on this earth to give more. That's right. So, I mean, 13 years, uh, there's, I mean, that's an incredible career. Um, I don't know what the average is um, of an NFL player, what, three or four years maybe? Um, yeah, the average is supposed to be four years, three or four years, correct. So, it, you know, 13 years, uh, four teams, but I got to ask you about one. I live in Dallas now, but I moved here from Washington, D.C., so I got to ask a Redskins question here. So, I mean, no doubt that you play with a lot of amazing guys, but – um, what was it like playing opposite a guy uh, named Daryl Green? I mean, just just athletically, but also just from a leadership perspective. Well, I, like I said, I've been God has, has put me right there every situation. You know, I played with a great athlete, Rod Woodson at Purdue. He was the right corner; I was the left corner. Wow. Then going on to Houston, I, I had some good corners beside me on the other side. But getting to Washington and seeing a guy like Daryl Green. Uh, still be as fast as he was at the at his age, um, you know. Just a leader on and off the field, a godly man, a family man, uh, a person that you know has been in the AFC and looking at someone in the NFC. He was a guy like, okay, yeah, he's a good player, but now that I'm right there with him, seeing his athletic ability, seeing how fast he can run, you know, and his knowledge of the game. Him and I talk with strategy, you know, well, I do this with my feet. You know, him and I working out with each other. It just expanded my uh, game a little bit more. And you talked about just uh, a godly man, too. Um, I mean, just the humility um, is from, at least from my vantage point as a fan and kind of some mutual friends that we've had, um, humility and just what he's done for the city of D.C. is just is unbelievable. It is. He's a, he's a guy that can walk in a room and can light up a room. And he's not a guy that can light up a room, been brag. Bo- bo- he's not a brag. You know, it's not going to brag right. on himself. And look at me. I'm Daryl Green, 20 years, Hall of Fame guy. 
he can walk in a room and just light up the room just because of his personality. Not don't he don't even talk about what he did because he always right. says it's not about me. It's about giving to others. You know, mm. he don't really talk. Hey, I got a Hall of Fame jacket. I got this. He don't really talk about nothing like that. He's talking about doing God's work, doing a godly work of giving back to others. So you know, see, he come in a room and light up a room, and he's very oriented, and very detailed person. And y'all still, I mean, he comes down to Houston and does some of your uh, a camp, right? Yes. Uh, two years ago, we had a, a, a camp called Goat Skills Camp, and I was very blessed to have D. Green down there. Like I said, he, he, he I don't know who had more fun, Daryl, Rod, or Dion. They all three had a black. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He just, it was so funny because Dion actually brought his cliques and worked out and worked out with the guys and scoring guys' drills. And, you know, Rod had a blast. And D. Green, you know, while the guys were supposed to be eating lunch, He's in there showing kids different techniques, talking to kids, telling them right and wrong. You know, he just went, all the guys went far beyond uh, what I expected, you know. But they, they just had a great, great time. And uh, we're going to continue to set on, for the, uh, especially for next year, of getting that back into the guys. Because that's, that's what's missing, is right. guys actually be able to go in and get that one-on-one with a guy like a Deion Sanders or Daryl Green or Rod Woodson. You know, getting that one-on-one, they're telling you exactly how it is. It's not nothing they saw on TV. It's something they live. You know, you're talking about over 75 years of experience in one camp. You know, wow. uh, my 13, Rod's 18, uh, D. Green's 20, Dion's 14. You know, I think my math is something somewhere like that. So you're talking about over 70 years of experience. And everyone have a little niche that they like to do. And for a kid to get everyone's perspective, because it was not like it was not like we had a setup where it was a thirty-minute rotation, so every kid got taught by each each one of us. Wow! So we taught different stuff, but we talked the same language as far as DB language. And I wanted to ask that you know just because that's the stuff that you don't read about, right? We see it right. as that get in trouble or. But whatever, you know, more the negative press. But you don't see guys like yourself getting three other guys, like you said, cumulative 70 to 80 years of experience and pouring into a young man one on one. Right. We don't see that. You know, that's 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 the reason I wanted to highlight that is just to highlight that. You know what? There's a lot more good out there than what 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 people realize. And and you guys aren't out there, you know, with a TV camera, you guys aren't out there promoting it. You know, no, no. you know, you're just doing it. Right, right. And we did have cameras there, but it, like I told the cameras, it's not about us. It's about these kids right here. Uh, the good thing about it was after we got through showing thing, we went up into the gym and each player gave their testimony. Wow. And it was very touching of hearing Daryl's ter- testimony. Hearing, uh, all these years I've known Daryl to hear his testimony of what, what he'd done, how he got to where he's at. They went from a small school, Texas A&I, un, you know, barely drafted. Then, you know what I'm saying? Now look where he's at from Dion, being highly drafted guy, but still just working just as hard because he wanted – and the reason why he wore the chains was not because he was trying to be flashy. It was because he was trying to show kids that there's other ways to uh, get out of property instead of just selling drugs. You know, mm-hmm. hearing that testimony from him and hearing Rod's testimony from being uh, – you know, from being from Fort Wayne and now look to where he look where he's at today. And 
it's just hearing each guy's testimony, hearing seeing the kids actually paying attention, you know, glued to each and every word that was coming out the uh, out the uh, guys' mouth, and that was, was exciting to excel. That's awesome. So, I ask you a question about the NFL because you know, again, another one of those things where we, you know, we as the average person only sees a glimpse of the NFL life. You know, we see the games, we see the big paychecks, the big contracts, the, you know, all, all the awards, but we don't see the the daily grind, mm-hmm. if you will, and the strain that it could be on a family. So someone who put 13 years in, how do you balance the demands of the NFL with family life and, you know, and, may, and remaining spiritually strong? You know, how does that become? you know, maintain a priority. Well, as you get older, you just learn more. Just try to keep learning each and every day. Um, that's what I pride myself on is trying to learn more, trying to learn more of the new technology, you know, of what's out there. Learning from my kids of knowing them, that uh, they know how to work these cell phones and these uh, different devices better than I do, but they sitting there teaching me uh, how to do it. You know, uh, just the balance of, of having someone, um, in your life that, that's supportive of you. I got a great family support background. My mom and dad, like I said, my mom and dad still living. My brothers and sisters, you know, it was very supportive. My sister-in-laws, you know, it's just every everyone is, is working as one. And I think mm. that's what keeps you grounded when everyone's working as one and everyone, you know, it's not saying we're the perfect family, but no, we're not. But we're going to have arguments. But we also know that it's bigger than the argument. It's about us. That's good. Um, what would you say was your greatest accomplishment in your career? Well, I think my greatest accomplishment was getting drafted. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there you go. That started, that started, that started the process. Um, as far as football, yeah, football related, it's um, – I guess the first time I made the Pro Bowl mm. of being recognized by your peers that you are one of the best. Um, back then, it wasn't no, it wasn't the media picking it, it wasn't the fans picking it, it was your peers picking you. And the Pro Bowl was the Pro Bowl. It wasn't whoever can get the most vote. Tweet for this person for he can get the most votes. It wasn't about no Twitter. It wasn't about no Facebook. or no Instagram. It was about your work that you done on the field mm. and the players that. The receivers that went up against you because the receivers picked the DBs just like the DBs picked the receivers. So, so the receivers like a Michael Irvin, like a um, Jerry Rice, Andre Reed, Mike, uh, you know, um, uh, Bad Moon Rising. You mm. know, it was, it was those receivers that you go up against each and every day. Tim Brown, you know, wow. those type of receivers that you went up each and every day, each and every game, and they respect you enough to say, man, this guy is a Pro Bowl player. I like the way he played, blah, blah, blah. I'm voting for him. That's when the Pro Bowl was the Pro Bowl, when the players vote. And that's what I hope they can get back to is the players actually vote for the Pro Bowl. That, that's meaningful. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible honor to have the top receivers recognize a cornerback as being one of the right. best. Right. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So what about uh, playing or coaching? Uh, would you say is your biggest – I don't – Hate to use the word disappointment. Grace challenge. Well, I guess we got a point back to 1993. I think 
as I walk into the city of Houston today, people recognize me and like, man, you broke my heart. I'm like, trust me, I know what you're talking about. No, you don't. I said, yes, I do. 1993. Yeah, how you doing? Well, that's everybody want to talk about. 1993 when, when Buffalo Bills came back on it. Like, yeah, I think that was probably one of my uh, saddest moments in football um, because I felt like I let, let the city of Houston down. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that was the most thing that I was uh, disappointed in because we was right there. We was a team that if we would have played those Cowboys, that those Cowboys up north, that we would have beat, <laughs> beat them three times that year anyway. You know, so and uh, I think and we would had all Texas Super Bowl that year. So I don't know if anybody, any state could actually said that they had all both teams from their state played in the Super Bowl against each other. That would probably been, I don't know if that would have been the first or not, but that would have been exciting for us to play the, uh, the Cowboys and winning our Super, our first Super Bowl versus the Cowboys. So uh, 1993, that's what, uh, 19, 26 yeah. years ago, and some people and still remember. They, huh? Yes, yes. People still remember that. <laughs> Trust me. Wow. No matter if I'm pumping gas or any, yeah, pumping gas or walking, walking through the grocery store, people still remembering it. That's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, I want to ask you kind of a, you know, you said you're a, a guy that, you know, you consider a, a godly man, someone who follows God. So is there a story maybe in your relationship with other players, whether it's as a player, as a coach, where you saw God use you in, in someone else's life? Well, it's just bits and pieces every everywhere, you know. Bits and pieces in my children's life. Bits and pieces right. when, when I played, uh, when I was with Washington, being able to get connected to D. Green, going to Bible study with him, being around his family, being, being here in Houston, you know. Uh, uh, I used to go to St. Mary's Church, from St. Mary's Church to uh, uh, Lakewood. And then, from you know, just being in the atmosphere of, of godly people, um, you know, staying grounded with my mom and dad who will call me and uh, on Sundays, you went to church? Yes, yes, I did. Reminding of them uh, asking me, did I go to church? You know, so it was just, I was just been blessed and being around a lot of great people in my life. You know, and then I've continued to being around great people in my life, just pushing me into the positive way and and getting up at six thirty sometimes and saying my devotions and having my time with God before my day starts and thanking him for the things that he's done for me and thanking him for the things he's gonna do for me. And I've continued to, you know, stay in prayer because I'm not a perfect person, neither no, you know, nobody is, but That's right. I'm just trying to walk with in his on his path and try to seek his face each and every day. That's awesome. No, that's good. That's a good reminder. Cause I know, you know, you can get, get caught up in the busyness of life and forget, uh, who gives us life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and even today, um, coaching in the XFL is about to launch. You do some speaking, do some training, your husband, your dad, how do you, I mean, still, how, how do you balance all that? I just try to take one minute at a time, you know, one minute at a time. And when that minute's over, it's over. Can't, whatever I did wrong, I can't correct it. So mm-hmm. I just try to keep moving forward and just take one minute at a time. And 
have a calendar as you do. I try to yeah. <laughs> I put everything on the calendar, you know, and uh, my fiance now, Jen, she's very, very good at keeping me on track of, of doing stuff and looking at my calendar and not just having a calendar and, and keeping me on breast of everything I have to do that way I can be on time for everything. Good. And I, yeah, small correction. I went in and said husband, I meant to, um, I knew you were engaged, Beyonce, but I went in and threw husband out there just kind of out of habit. So, (laughs) so now let me ask you, and I don't want to, this could go a lot of different ways, but I want to talk about the role of sports for a minute in culture. Um, it's no secret that culture is divided. Um, I'm not going to get down the political trail because we could go for hours on that, but, um, (laughs) but I also know that, you know, because we're divided, I mean, whether it's race, socioeconomics, religion, politics, it doesn't matter. Um, there's a lot of division, but there's only a few things I think in culture that bring people together. And one of that's the sports. So how have you seen in your playing career and in coaching, how, sports play or in your case football played that critical role in tearing down some walls and you know allowing people to not see that division but but working together well just started in high school he sells high school is probably 80 percent caucasian Mm. so me going out to these sales in high school uh where it's probably about not that many uh, african-americans and been on a team where we all united as one. We was a team. It wasn't a black team or white team. We're a team. Uh, then moving on to Purdue, you know, of being, becoming a team. Then on to Houston and, and Washington and Kansas City and then on to Minnesota, where it's, it's, it's no black and white in team. You know, it's no I in team. It's a team. And everyone grabbing a concept is – you may be you know, from Nebraska, I may be from Kentucky, or you may be from California or whatever you are, that once you make that roster or once you make that team, then it's the Houston Texans or the Houston Oilers. It's not the, um, the Caucasian Houston Texans or the African-American Houston Texans. We're the, it's it we. So we combine ourselves as team, you know, and lockers are right by. It's not, you know, the lockers are not, uh, separate. You don't have the white side over here and the black side over here. You know, we have offense on one side, defense on one side, and they mix and mingle different guys in between. You know, so it's everybody's by each other. And it's, I say it's not, and I don't want to use the word force, but you're not forced to get along with everybody. Right. But in order to make that team work, you have to. You have to respect everybody and get along with everybody. Do we fuss and fight and have arguments? Yes. Like any family do. That's right. But we realize that for the better of the team, then we have to work together and you have a working relationship. And, you know, you go out and may have some wine with a teammate and talk to them and then realize that, hey, this person is just like me. You know, he went through the same struggles or this person going through more struggles and maybe the struggles I went through, I can reach down and help him or say something to him to help him along and vice versa. That's good. And I love asking that question, especially um, to guys like yourself that have a lot of experience, both as a player and as a coach, because the one thing that always comes out without hesitation is one goal. Um, You know, that team having one goal. And to me, every time I hear that, 
I just think that God is just using that to challenge and encourage me just as a reminder that that's the way it shouldn't take football for us to live that way. Correct. And, and it's unfortunate that sports do that. Uh, it brings everyone together. Uh, it's just like when you go into the stadium, you don't, you don't pick a section where you sit, you sit by the right. wherever, where, you know what I'm saying? If you can, for the uh, high dollar seats, you go sit in the suites. If you can't, you sit amongst everyone else. You pick your seat. You cheer for that one team. You know, and you're high fiving and all that. Yeah, yeah. you're high fiving and you're having fun and you and you. But once that game is over, why can't that same celebration still be still go on? Why exactly. do I have to go get my car and leave? And you got to get in your car and leave, and then we have to be mad at each other. And all. It don't have to be like that. Exactly. And I think take it like that but it's it god has bottles on earth to get along with each other god has bottles here to like you said to have one goal and the only goal that any human should have is to be uh, god's child and i think that's where we kind of miss the boat that everyone thinks it's about them and it's not about them that's right yeah i love i love hearing um guys talk about that from the football perspective because it's just a reminder to me every day that I need to seek to live that same way. Yes. You know, it shouldn't take a football team to, to do that, but it is, it's, it's, it is a, 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 a beautiful picture of how we should try to live. Yeah. It's just sports in general, you know, it's just right. like the women's soccer team. That's right. Great. They won the championship, you know, just you know, football, basketball, any sport competition. It doesn't take a sport competition to bring a group together. It should not take a sports competition right. to bring a group together. But if we, as uh, as as athletes, can can make that one moment in time, I hate to sound that one shiny moment in time, mm-hmm. if we can bring that on, then it's more power. That's right. So let me ask you, um, a lot of people have like a favorite scripture, a life Bible verse, um, or, you know, I was going to ask you to share that, or is there one that maybe God has shown you recently that's encouraged you? Well, I always go about Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I have that on my, I wear a bracelet every day with that. I have another bracelet on. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, has uh, the Our Father on it. It's a prayer bracelet. This is another bracelet of mine, Philippians 4.13. I have, and you know, like I said, when I get up in the morning, I, Going to my devotions before I leave the house, I put my bracelets on. Those are the two: the Our Father, the prayer, Our Father, and Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are the two things that I try to uh, go by and, and, and try to each and every day try to make sure that I say those. That's good. I like that. It's a good reminder. And I mean, you kind of answered my last question about. Um, I always like to ask people about what does it look like for them to be all in on a daily basis in their relationship with, with God. I think you just hit it where when you wake up, remember who gave you the breath, you know, start with prayer time and, and and your devotion. That's good stuff. Yeah. I try to, you know, uh, try to get up every, every morning. I got a daily devotion that I read going to my father uh, say my prayers, thanking him. And then at night also thanking him also for giving me that opportunity to get through this day. Uh, That's right. Not, and um, not having it, not been able to disappoint him. And, t- and if I did disappoint him, that 
please forgive me for the sins I've committed to disappoint you that it's not what I went intended to do. And maybe tomorrow will be better. You know? That's right. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing that we get that, get a, get a new, a new day to start over. Yes, indeed. Well, I know, um, I know you got a lot going on, so I appreciate you uh, being willing to, to jump on here and, and share a little bit about your story. I know I've, I've been encouraged and I know the people listening are, are as well. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you for having me. You know, if I get back on later, then that's great. That's awesome. I hope you enjoyed listening to Chris as much as I enjoyed talking to him. As always, I've got a lot of notes, my takeaways from our conversation, but you know, just overcoming differences and the obstacles um, and, and the, the walls that divide us. You know, he went back to where a lot of people go. And if you listen to this podcast over time, you hear us talking about this is that football and sports brings out the ability to, to be unified because there's a common goal and how true that is for us in life, that we have a common goal. Love God, love others. And if we approach our everyday life and walk with Christ the same way that uh, Chris talked about the football team, you know, of the one goal, you don't see differences. You see what what unites, and that's a goal. You don't look at what divides, and that's that's really um, something that just really spoke to me in talking to Chris, both during recording the conversation and also talking to him prior to and after as well. It was just that that desire to see people for who they are and not not the differences and focusing on on one goal. I liked his his prayer bracelet. It's just a a reminder every day. You know, to give thanks to God. You know, the prayer bracelet said, Our Father. It's just a reminder that we serve a, a loving God, a loving Father who gives us the very breath every day when we wake up, the ability to get out of bed, that we need to be thankful for the little things. And then the favorite scripture, it's a very common scripture, but he brought us back to Philippians 4.13. It is, it's, it's a great reminder that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It doesn't mean we're going to do everything successful. We're going to win every game. We're going to make every sale. We're going to, we're going to have this perfect day because we have this. But it's whatever God has called you and me to do, He's going to give us the strength to do it. So thank you again to Chris for, for reminding us of that and just sharing his story and his journey. Um, I hope you'll share this episode with somebody. And also, we'd love to hear from you through our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org, or social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just type All In Sports Outreach and it'll take you to our pages. You can find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray for us, to serve with us, and to give. Lastly, just thank you again for listening. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your prayers. And if you're not someone who has already a subscriber to this podcast, no matter what podcast platform you're using, whether it's it's iTunes, it's Google Play, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you use, just click the subscribe button because this is episode number 101. There's a hundred previous episodes for you to go back and listen to and be encouraged. And, and I got to tell you, I am so excited for the episodes to come because there's some incredible people that you're going to hear from, some incredible young ladies and young men that are coming to you real soon. So if you're not a subscriber, go ahead and hit the subscribe button today. Thank you again. 
We just truly cherish your prayers and support.